clarity has incredible power and a strong impact when it comes to measuring effectiveness and efficiency. Let me run that by you one more time. Clarity has incredible power and an enormous impact when it comes to measuring effectiveness and efficiency. Case in point, my wife Teresa and I up the west side into New Mexico, all the way to the river. We have been on the east side out near the airport. We have been up the northeast side. We've been up on the mountain. We even started to look for a house somewhere between here and Van Horn just because we're looking for a house and need a house. One of the things that we found in the search process is you better know what you're looking for. Otherwise, you'll just be lost in the process. When it comes to neighborhoods, clarity helps. When it comes to the kind of house you want, clarity helps. When it comes to the kind of house you're willing to settle for, it's good for me to have clarity what my wife wants. (laughs) Clarity has enormous impact on effectiveness and efficiency, which brings us to the mission of the church In this passage that we look at today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. But in this passage, the last recorded words of Jesus according to Matthew's account of his life, Matthew holds out for us this point of clarity. Actually, in this passage, we find three different points of clarity that would be very instructive for us. I'm not sure that I'll have time to get all three of them today. But there is clarity that Jesus offers to us as it relates to the way we function as individual Christians and as a church. Now, we're in now the second sermon in this first series that I have called First Things because I believe that first things are important. First sermon series for a church from a new pastor needs to kind of set the the foundation of where we are as a church so that we can meet together there and that we can move forward all of us on the same page, working from the same point of reference. And so one of those points of reference that we need, one of those pieces of this foundation has to be this idea of what are we about. We have to let Jesus speak into the moment for us so that we build who we are as a people around what he has said. We need clarity. We need clarity relative to the mission and relative to the personnel involved and also relative to the resources that are going to be required. And Jesus gives us all of those in these few verses. So as we read, you follow along, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples, that's eleven because Judas Iscariot is off the scene. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first point of clarity that Jesus gives us here is clarity of mission. That's important for a number of reasons. 
But let me, let me step back from that for just a moment to ask you to work with me here for a little bit this morning. See, one of the dangers of a pastor preaching on a passage of Scripture that everybody knows, I would venture to guess that almost everybody in here has probably heard 11 dozen sermons off of this passage. And so the problem and the danger is that it's likely that you will be sitting there thinking, okay, so here's what we expect the preacher to say about this passage. And I may well say those things. But I also hope to say some things that might give you just a little bit of a turn on how you understand the passage and a little bit of clarity that may well pay off for us in the long run as a church because this is only one day of a future that I trust will be long and productive for us together as a church. What does Jesus provide for us in the way of clarity when it comes to the mission that we're about here? Now, most of us will know, you've heard sermons before, that, and we have historically taken this passage where the word go is the, is the primary one. And so you hear sermons where, where we say we need to just get out there and we need to charge and we need to go and we need to go and we need to go. But go is not the com, uh, controlling verb of this passage. Neither is the one of baptizing. All, that's not to say those are not important. That's not to say that those are not things that we are told we need to do. We are. But it's neither go nor baptizing nor teaching that draws the primary emphasis here. The primary action that Jesus pushes before us is to make disciples. That's a powerful clarification. It's a clarification that we in our history as Baptists may well have missed for some time. You know, it's easy to get church work wrong. Maybe another way for me to say that is it's easy for us to get this whole make disciples things out of focus. You do realize, right, that there is a difference between church work and the work of the church. One thing that happens with us in the way we do church sometimes, and, and it's just part of the, the nature of it all, I think. It, it's not that it's bad, and it's certainly not that it's wrong. It's just that sometimes we let it be what we do rather than what's best. That is that we just get busy. There's all kinds of stuff to do. In the discussions with the search committee before I came here, we talked a lot about the church, and I did a lot of online research into this, and this church has stuff going all the time. One of the things that the committee said to me in the process of our discussions was, uh, you just need to know that there's something up there. You could be up there all the time. How are you going to be sure that you don't be up there all the time? It's a good question. Church work is not necessarily the work of the church. Jesus says with great clarity, our responsibility, first and foremost, is to make disciples. That's easier said than done. We have developed a way of looking at the things that we do and evaluating the things that we do, and and certainly we're shooting for something. We're not just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. But if we're not careful, we'll be like a friend of mine referred to his church a number of years ago. That He said, you know, we're a mile wide and an inch deep. There's just not much discipleship happening there. Clarity. Let's recognize that activity does not necessarily mean life. 
Just because we're busy doesn't mean that we're doing the work of the church. Activity does not necessarily mean life. I discovered that truth when I was a, an elementary age boy. My dad was pastoring his first church, Central Texas, outside of Cross Plains, Texas, the first Baptist church of Cottonwood, Texas. Truth be told, it was the only Baptist church of Cottonwood, Texas. Fully, truth be told, it was the only church of Cottonwood, Texas. A small one-room post office, a gas station, and a church. And my dad pastored that church. My brother and I both were in elementary school. He's two years older than I am, twice as mean as I am. And uh, we had some people in our church who were chicken farmers. And I didn't know that you farmed chickens, and I had this idea in my head of what it was. But these, these were people who worked for a lot of these large chicken companies that uh, sell fryer chickens and that kind of thing. And so they raised them. They had these huge barns that were out there, and, uh, and they were members of our church. And they called our house one day, the parsonage, and my mom answered the phone. And the lady said, hey, we have some fryer chickens. We know that you have two boys that eat a lot. Would you like for us to bring you some of those fryer chickens? My mother said, absolutely. And so they brought over live chickens. Now, I'm not going to get into it because we have young ears uh, in here, and I don't want to be overly graphic, but uh, uh, we had to learn as a family, and especially my brother and I as elementary school kids, we had to learn that chickens don't grow in the freezer at the grocery store. And when they are delivered live, there is a process that you have to go through before you can throw them in the fryer. Now, I adopted the windmill technique. Now, windmill techniques, I'm not going to go into any detail here, but windmill techniques do not do anything to help get a chicken out of the coop and into the frying pan. They just does It makes them a little bit weird, and it makes them a lot mad, but it doesn't get them where you need to go. My dad, on the other hand, had grown up on a dairy farm in Illinois, and he knew a little bit about farm life, and he was able to take those chickens and adequately, quickly, Prepare them for the fryer, if you know what I mean. Here's what I learned from that. You know that for a chicken who's had his neck wrung, activity is not life. It was, it was so much fun watching those deceased chickens run around the yard or flop around the yard, whatever the truth actually has to be. Oh, they were very active, but there was no life there. It's a great picture for us of church because we can take on all the trappings of life and be dead. Activity is not life. And Jesus steps into the moment with these disciples, and they have been through three years plus of following him around and being front row witnesses of what life looks like. And now Jesus says to them in no uncertain terms, very clearly he says, my charge to you is to make disciples. In other words, Jesus says, what I have done with you, you do with others. 
That's, that's a huge statement for us as a church. It is the second of the first things that I wanted to share with you because that must provide for us the foundation from which we build as we go forward. No matter what else we do as a church and all of the good things that we do as a church, we must always come back to this basic charge that is given to us. We must be about the process of making disciples. Now, I need to clarify that because we, we easily get this wrong. And it's not that we're trying to. It's just that we, we have so much that's out there that just kind of presses in and, and we don't even define words that we use sometimes. What does it mean to make disciples? One of the things that I think is easy for us to, it, we get it wrong when we do this, but at least it's a start in the right direction. We just make sure that we're, that we're getting it right. And that is that we often treat discipleship like it's just a transfer of information. Let me, let's try it this way. Let's do a little audience participation here, okay? So it's okay if you talk back as long as you stay on subject, okay? So let's do this. You complete the statement for me. Information that was transferred to me a long time ago. In 1492, Columbus... Excellent job. Everybody passes the test. You're free to go to lunch in about 30 minutes. No, 15 minutes. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And here's my response to that. So... What do you do with that information? I have, but that's my answer too. I don't know what to do with that information. You see, one of the things that happens is we begin to take this charge that Jesus gave us, which is to make disciples. Again, the same thing that he has done with those disciples, we're to do with other people. I'll come back to that in a moment, but, but let's make sure that we finish that out. If all we're doing is transferring information to other people, we might make them smarter about Jesus, but we don't necessarily help them look like Jesus. And Jesus did not promote just a transfer of information. Jesus was about transforming lives. So the discipleship that we do, the spiritual formation that we undertake as a church may well include some classes. As a matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and do a promo here because within the next few weeks, we'll begin our fall series of discipleship classes on Sunday evenings. I hope that you will take advantage of those. I so hope that you will take advantage of those, that one of the things that I've already begun to ask, and we're seeing it get pushed out a little bit already, is we want to make the opportunity for discipleship much easier for you to take advantage of. And so we're pushing out into the digital realm of doing that. Just this past week in staff meeting, we talked about taking these sermons. We already have them on TV, and we put them on our website on YouTube. Uh, but one of the things that we have done now over the past week, Nikki helped us with this, is taking our sermons for now, just the sermons, and putting them on a podcast so that while you're out exercising, okay, I'm not going to do it while I'm exercising, but while you're out exercising or while you're working or while you're stuck in traffic, you can listen to the audio 
of these sermons. If you happen to be out of town and you don't want to miss what's going on at church, then you can go to that and we'll help you figure it out if you don't know what that means, how to do it. If you have someone in your family who's deployed overseas, that they can go to the internet and they can download those podcasts so that they can help grow further and forward. Discipleship, spiritual formation is not an option for us. It is a critical necessity. Jesus makes that clear. But let's talk about these guys for a moment because we need to understand what discipleship or spiritual formation does. And I use these disciples as exhibit A. We could go back. Matter of fact, let's just go back for a moment or two in our thinking. Of these disciples, these 11 guys, they're just ordinary people just like you and me. You had some who were uh, tax collectors. We had fishermen. These just regular guys. And Jesus says to them, follow me. Jesus didn't just say, follow me. He didn't say, follow me and watch. He said, follow me and I will transform your life. I will make you fishers of men. So for three years and a handful of months, these guys had front row seats watching Jesus do incredible stuff. Put yourself in the boat with those disciples and it's storming outside. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. Just like a preacher, sleep through the job. And they're freaking out. These are professional sailors and they're freaking out. And finally they wake him up and they charge him with that, you don't even care. We're dying here, and you don't even care. And Jesus walks to the side of the boat. Put yourself in the boat. Jesus walks to the bow of the boat, and he says to the storm, cut it out. Just like that, peace. Put yourself in that boat. What does that do to your life? What does that communicate in your life to the everyday stuff that you go through from that point forward? There's that point of reference that these guys see that, and they see him take food and multiply it. They see him praying. Jesus, for three years and a handful of months, has taught these, Jesus has taught these guys to be different. It's not just information transfer for them. It is a transformed life. Making disciples means that we help people to let Jesus transform them. That's what this is. So we do that in a number of different ways as a church, and we intend to be really good at that. Make disciples. There's clarity there. So let me just warn you before we go further. Choosing to be a follower of Jesus, choosing to be a disciple of Jesus is dangerous stuff because he will not let you stay the way you are. He wants to transform your life. But here's the deal. He wants you to be active in the process of him transforming other people's lives too. Make disciples. We also see that Jesus clarifies the personnel involved. Let's not miss this because this is, I I think this is the one that we usually miss. Those those sermons that we usually hear on this passage and on the Great Commission seem often 
uh, to leave verse 17 along the curb. But I think there's gold in verse 17, especially for me at least, because I'm one of those who struggles with this whole thing about being like Jesus. I don't know how you are, but for me, that, that's, a, that's a tall order. I'm way too much me to be like he. And so verse 17 helps me. Listen, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You ever thought, stop to think about what's going on in that verse? Some doubt it. Let me put it in the road trammel translation of the day for you. Some of them got it about who he was, and some of them still were a little bit hesitant. That's a huge statement because of what they've seen. This is on the other side of the cross. This is on the other side of the resurrection. This is on that other side of the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. And it says that some of them worshipped him, and some of them were a little bit hesitant. And I rather suspect, okay, hang on because this, this gets us in our church sensibilities now, I rather suspect that the, the term here is a reflection of what some of these guys went through because their good Jewish upbringing, their, their Jewish sensibilities about not worshiping anybody other than Yahweh probably began to knock on their door a bit at this point. It's pretty heady stuff, worshiping anybody other than Yahweh, isn't it? And some worshiped him and some doubted but Jesus gave the commission to all of them here's the takeaway from that no matter where you are in the process make disciples as your responsibility even if you're the one in that top percentile of followers of Jesus and you've been doing it for years maybe even decades and you get it about who Jesus is, you still have the opportunity and the calling, the commission to make disciples. But maybe you're like probably most of us. You're not that top percentile. You may find yourself somewhere towards the middle or even the bottom, and and you're still new to this whole Jesus thing, and you're not sure that you even know anything, not enough to tell somebody else about being a follower of him and helping them to grow and be transformed by him. And it would be easy for us who are in that level to go, man, I just don't know if I should do that. And Jesus takes the whole lot of them, the ones who got it and the ones who were getting it, and he says to all of them and all of us, make disciples. So he clarifies the personnel. It's all of us. It's not just the preacher. It's not just the deacons. It's not just your Sunday school teacher. It's all of us. We're called to make disciples. Elvin helped me with this this past week, well, a little over a week ago now. Nothing more pathetic than a new preacher in town. I'm, I'm having to ask about stuff at the office. I feel like such a needy child. But it was time for us to go to the hospital and see one of our members, and I didn't even know where the hospital was. And Elvin said, I'll, I'll just go with you. Won't you let me just go with you? So not knowing how I drove or anything like that, he crawled in the back seat of my car, and we took off. And he told me how to get to where we were going. That's discipleship. 
we got to the hospital, and it's kind of a weird deal because you can't just take one elevator to get where you need to. You got to walk through the maze of the hospital, and so he, he worked us through that, and so he just kind of went alongside of us, and he said, okay, here's the first elevator, and, and so we got in it. That's discipleship, and then we went down a hallway, and he said, here's what you look for, and that's discipleship, and we got in another elevator and went up, and you get the picture, right? And so from the time we left the church until we got out of the hospital, Elvin was discipling me on how to do hospital stuff around here. That's what discipleship is. It's taking people by the hand and walking through life with them, keeping them connected with Jesus. Let me tell you something. When we do that consistently as followers of Jesus, the world takes note because Jesus transforms life. So the personnel is us. That only leaves the resource. I mentioned this in closing. First part of verse, excuse me, the last part of verse 18 and the last part of verse 20 bracket this for us. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here's the truth that I want us to get. What Jesus requires of us, Jesus resources for us. As good a teacher as you are, you can't do this. You just can't. But Jesus through you can. Will we be a discipling church? I say yes. What do you say? Let's pray. And as we pray, let me extend this invitation to you. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, you've heard me talking about all this, but it seems a little foreign to you, then my best input for you, not just today, but any day, is that you come to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you allow him to step into your life and bring what only he can bring, forgiveness of sin, a real life, John 10, 10, a life he promises that is abundant, will blow your mind kind of life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's where you start today. And so the invitation to you is, why don't you settle that? You can come down, Bob will be here, I'll be down here, we can talk and pray, but that's where you start. If you already know Jesus as your Savior, my question to you is, are you in the process of helping other people grow in their relationship with him? If not, why not? And why not make the commitment today to begin that process? Are you a disciple? Are you a discipler? Jesus, we ask you to take this time be glorified in it and change lives for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.